Hello everyone and welcome to the Uninformed Handball Hour, brought to you right after the final buzzer of Spain against Germany as we bring you post-match reaction from Thursday night's games in the World Championship. Later on the pod we'll also have an interview with Mohamed Sanad from Egypt, definitely one to look forward to. But first, post-match reactions, Spain against Germany, Spain coming out on top, 32-28 and practically knocking Germany out of this championship thoughts well as we were saying before the uh before we started recording there Chris we we're saying it was just such an odd second half I mean Spain looked like they were absolutely cruising in the first half with Corrales and goal and he just was pulling off save after save and every single mistake that Germany made Spain punished them with just their incredible fast break game and then in the second half, it just seemed to look like that Spain were completely out of ideas and Germany came back into it again. And then Germany absolutely bottled it towards the end. But definitely an entertaining game. It was nice to see Bitter popping up a few times, getting some saves. But uh, the Spanish backcourt, I mean, it's probably one of the, the slowest backcourts in the whole tournament. But it's probably one of the cleverest backcourts in the whole tournament at the same time with some of the players they have in there. That's probably what made the difference again. They didn't really panic so to say and then also with Paris de Vargas's performance in the second half also that it was nice to see him also getting a bit back into the limelight because he seemed to on club level anyway drifted back a bit and it's nice to see him in the limelight once again between the posts and he did get 18 saves against Tunisia previously so he's actually been pretty on fire in this tournament but I think in terms of Germany they will be looking at this tournament as a missed opportunity because we haven't seen any exceptional teams so far in this tournament. Every team has had their troubles, except for maybe Denmark, but I, I feel like they haven't been properly tested yet. Um, and it seems like Gisselsen has set up a very good German team with what players he had left. So if you add in the likes of Peckler and Wiencheck to completely sort out that defence... Then you add in Vida on the right side, who's been the best right back in uh, the Bundesliga this season. You have a team that could have really competed for gold in this tournament. Ah, coulda, woulda, shoulda, <laughs> Alex. Look, if if Alfred Gislason said they're not going to talk about the players who aren't there, we're not going to talk about the players who aren't there. Every team has had absences. And look, I don't feel sad for the Germans in that case because their own players decided not to play for them. They chickened out due to their families. <laughs> Very unpatriotic. <laughs> if Christian Prokop was still in the job and he had the same team and they got the same results or even maybe slightly better results maybe made it to the quarterfinal and got knocked out in the quarterfinal, you'd imagine the German media would have just have come down on them anyways. It's probably one good thing about Alfred Giesesson taking over this job is we don't have to listen to every Tom, Dick and Harry in German handball media given out about Christian Prokop over the next few years. <laughs> because I think Alfred Giesesson with his yeah. CV and everything he brings with it, I think they're just going to give him so much time. And yeah. But what about the game itself? I mean, uh, as you said, Brian, they uh, Germany 
were clearly the second best team in the first half. They were overrun by fast breaks, plenty of good saves as well by Corrales. And then at the second half, they, they switched things around completely. They, they turned the game completely on its head, looked relatively comfortable. Spain looked lost at sea and then managed to keep their calm. But where did it all go wrong for Germany? Well, I, I think the biggest change that allowed Germany back in is that the Spanish goalkeeper stopped making saves for a little while. So for the fifth, first half, Corrales made 10 saves. Incredible performance. And kept Spain ahead. Then started the second half. Germany got a bit of pace into their attack, especially Kai Hafner was in a lot of good form. And he was breaking through. They were finding Gala on the line. And Corrales was beaten quite a few times, especially by Timo Kassening on the right wing, who really started on fire. And then they brought on Perez de Vargas. And that's the beauty of having two of the best goalkeepers in the world in one squad. When one goalkeeper is down, you bring on a potentially even better one. And those few saves that um, de Vargas made at the start kind of threw off Germany. It allowed Spain to regroup and take control. And as you mentioned, their back players really controlled the game from then on. And I think overall, Germany's weakness in defense was shown again. While Gala is incredible in attack, I think he's unmovable. He gets the ball at will. In defense, he still struggles a little bit. And even though Germany can pull out a seven-foot-tall, blonde central defender like Heyman out of their extended squad, he still isn't the same quality as Peckler or Vincek. And it was just easier for Antarios and Canellas, who are just so, so experienced, to work them around and make gaps. I mean, we basically saw the same problem with the game in Germany versus Hungary, where the, the massive problem, the central block had a massive problem with Banhidi. Gala, when he does something right, he, he looks absolutely world-class, but then he can also be a liability 10 seconds later again. That's what it seemed like when I was watching watching that there. Yeah, I don't want to go off on a rant now about Benson Benhidi, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, why not? I, I was going to ask about Hungary because uh, in this group now, because of that loss to Hungary a couple of days ago, now the loss to Spain, Germany are practically out of the running now. Not mathematically, I don't think. No, not mathematically. But basically seeing as Spain are playing Uruguay next, uh, it means that Germany are out of the running for the quarterfinals. Hungary top of group one and Spain in second place, uh, one point behind them. And one point behind Spain is Poland, who were not out of the running just yet. So there is still a battle here for the top two places in Group 1. But Hungary guys were very impressive against Germany and fairly impressive against Alex's beloved Brazil today. Yeah, well, Benzaban Hidi is just unstoppable. Um, it's incredible to see a line player be such a focal point of the attack in the most crunch time as well. And that's what he showed against uh, in that game against Germany, where the last three goals that Hungary scored were, well, actually three of the last four goals. The last goal was, of course, that buzzer beater by Lekai. But the three goals before that were two goals by Banhidi and a penalty that Banhidi earned. And... It's such a high-risk strategy, I think. And you really have to trust that the line player you have is 
the best in the world when you're within the last couple of minutes and um you need a goal you throw it to a guy in between three defenders that you know it's such high risk of turnover of disaster but Ben Sabanhidi eight goals out of eight four penalties earned and an incredible performance against Germany that game against Germany uh, there were people saying well wh- why didn't you just force the ball out to the Hungarian wingers as if that's something that the German defense and Alfred Kisselson didn't think of the problem is they just didn't have the physicality to make that happen because, as you said, even with three defenders around the line player, Banhidi was still getting the ball. They had two big shooters in good form as well, and Dominic Maffei on the right-hand side and uh, Ricard Bodo on the left-hand side and then Tricky Matej Leko in the center. So, yeah, it's all about that diamond in the center in attack for Hungary and uh, working really well so far. Uh, they've got a big test, though, in a couple of days against Poland, and those two countries love each other. Great sporting friendship, Poland and Hungary, going to be put to the test for a spot in the quarterfinal. There's one more thing I wanted to mention about Spain, and to say that I'm actually quite worried about Spain in this tournament. They've performed well, they've gotten their wins, but they're actually playing very differently to how they played in the European Championship that they won. And the primary difference there is that they're not getting the ball to the wingers. And when they are getting the ball to the wingers, those wingers aren't scoring. So their four wingers are some of the best in the world. And we saw in the Euros, they absolutely dominated with that. And the goals that their wingers have scored have primarily been fast breaks in this tournament. They've only had... Uh, well, going into the game against Germany, I haven't updated the stats there. They only had 20 shots from the wing and scored 11 of them. So at a 55% um, rate from the wing, which is well below the average of 63% in the competition from the wing. And not only that, they're just not involving the wingers at all. There's an incredible stat. Um so going into the game against Germany, Ferran Sole was involved in 136 possessions and only took a shot in one of them <laughs> in the tournament to date. Oh God, that's just like, oh, I, I, I'm at the running up and down, up and down, up and down and just not getting involved. Wow. That's interesting. Uh, a little bit better on the left wing with Arena and Fernandez having 14 shots between them across four games. But again, this is this is a team that really relied on their amazing wingers in the past. And right now it's getting stuck between the back players. And you can see that because you mentioned that they play so slowly and that has its benefits with guys like Canaeus and, and Trarios really um, just kind of moving defenses around and making the gaps but i think unless they start widening the court and using the wingers they'll come into trouble against the top teams they'll face in the quarterfinals semifinals etc interesting yeah because not using the wingers in set attacking plays and then they don't really have the same quality of line player that they used to have either so it literally is just the backcourt and keepers you'd imagine when push comes to shove, that it might be a bit easier to figure out than it has been in the past. That being said, 
Do you still think they'll qualify for the quarterfinals? Who's going to go through from group one? I think Spain. Well, they'll beat Uruguay and that will be their ticket through. Brian? Yeah, I think Hungary, Spain to go through. Yeah, it'll be over probably by the next round. Could be. Okay, group two. This is also uh, still a bit of a scrap between the top three, or at least on paper, it looks like one. We've got Denmark, who seems like they haven't really played in the tournament yet. (laughs) They've won every game very convincingly, uh, just kind of cruising around. I don't know if you saw the Mikkel Hansen's halftime goal today. A classic, classic Mikkel Hansen goal. But he scored it past four defenders. What the hell happened? There was a guy who ran off just before he took it. I mean, I know he's a scary guy to face, but <laughs> not so scary to decide, oh, I'm not going to block this. You guys can deal with that yourselves. Well, he's probably thinking I'm not going to be in one of these videos that's going to go around like Mikkel Hansen scoring that free throw in the Olympics that went around for years and years. Because I'm not going to be included in this highlight. I'm just going to head off here now. Yeah, except leave the four yeah, lads to it. Now he's become the most uh, recognizable part of that video. <laughs> so <laughs> the ghost literally posterized himself there. Um, but that's probably the most uh, the most exciting thing we can talk about Denmark at the moment. Uh, Matthias Gidsel got himself yet another Player of the Match award. Denmark flying high. Uh, it's really hard to say much about them because they haven't really been tested yet. That will maybe change, probably won't change against Japan. Uh, maybe the last game in the group against Croatia will be their first major test. Yeah, but Croatia themselves have to overcome Argentina. They're just one point ahead of them. Uh, in second and third place in the group. Any impressions on either of those teams? Well, I think it's actually Argentina's best ever start to uh, a world championship. I think they've never picked up more points. So uh, things looking up there. I think Croatia are a bit of a weird one. I don't really know how to judge them because they've been quite mixed in this tournament. Uh, And I think this little gauntlet of um, Argentina and then Denmark will decide whether this team is legit. They have Karacic back from his pubis injury, so uh, hopefully that uh, makes a difference for them. They've kind of been like a lot of the top European teams in this tournament, like Spain and like France, where they've gotten wins that they're supposed to do, but at times haven't looked impressive at all. I still see them being beating Argentina, but uh, I I think Argentina are getting into good form. They have all three Simne brothers fully fit. There's, they've had a lot of trouble throughout the tournament um, with minor injuries. And I'm hoping for an Argentina win because that would be a great story. But uh, I feel that Croatia will take it. Yeah, that would be sensational. And definitely one to look forward to on Saturday, Argentina against Croatia. Uh, do you all reckon, though, in seriousness, that it will be Denmark and Croatia to go through? Yeah, I can't say anything else at this point. I, I can see an Argentina shock. And I think it will be a game that will go back and forth. I, I think Croatia will take the lead by a couple of goals, but Argentina will peg them back. And no, I'm not going to say Argentina. Croatia <laughs> <laughs> Go on, Alex. Go on, commit to it. As as it always happens in these tournaments and the way that these main round groups are made, the big European teams break through um, because they're just more consistent. And the likes of Brazil and Japan, who look so promising at the start of competition, drop 
uh, some games they can't keep the consistency of, of performance and that costs them in this main round format in group three we almost had a huge shock from a non-european team and that was algeria who uh, will feel very hard done by in their loss to france which after what was probably the for me at least the, the best game of the championship so far portugal against norway which norway won 29 28 leaves the group very delicately poised and norway's fate is not in their own hands three teams actually with a chance of going through france on six points portugal on four and norway on four first of all let's start with the the game between portugal and norway and uh what did you make of it i said it was the best game of the championship so far do you agree it was epic it was definitely the best game of the championship it was the most dynamic game of the championship i think where the players were just so explosive the likes of andre gomez and uh, miguel martins for portugal the power that they have and then on the other side there's the sagasin and uh sugor duo that was absolutely smashing goals and i think what made it most interesting is the tactical battle that went on and to such a minute detail that the coaches were prepared for the different tactical variations to an extent of portugal looking at the stats from Nor- the norwegian line players to date in the tournament and looking that oh okay they're actually shooting under 50 percent because um Mir Hall has had shoulder issues it's been bothering overby has been quite terrible actually in the tournament and they made the decision to let the line players shoot instead of dragging them down for a penalty that had mixed results but that's the level of preparation that went into it and portugal also not using the seven and six at the start kind of picking a right time to do it uh, and then just the drama in the game mm. it had everything they did choose that seven on six to activate that at a perfect time in the final quarter of the game really helped them to come back into it and norway for that period or most of that period looked completely lost and it seemed like they their reaction to it eventually was to just overcommit in the center it worked out once as they turned the ball over but overcommit in the center and then allowed the ball to go out to the wings where they yeah there was also one save from a a wing shot on that seven versus six period of time but anyway norway managed to come out on top and now well they need either portugal or france to drop a point in the next game on friday or for france to beat portugal in their last game against each other on sunday or for portugal to beat france by seven goals or more or a draw is also good for them basically anything but a normal portuguese victory against france is uh, is good for norway in that case and by the way this group is going and some of the results we've seen so far i wouldn't be so sure if it comes down to that final game between portugal and france because switzerland and iceland i think uh, will be dangerous prospects for them particularly switzerland who picked up a victory in the main round against Iceland. Yeah, it's been actually so so fun to see that. I mean, when I was watching the Switzerland-Iceland game, it, I mean, it, we've said it a million times before and everyone knows that it's basically the Andy Schmitz show plus everybody else. They weren't even meant to be here and they come off the couch and 
are looking fairly fairly dangerous I mean with Andy Schmidt playing absolutely out of his skin in most games as well so that's going to be a dangerous prospect for Portugal as well um, but I'd imagine I'd have, I have a sneaking feeling that if anybody were go- is going to drop points uh, it would probably be maybe France against Iceland I fancy maybe Iceland to pull maybe a draw off there France are a weird one they're so hard to judge because they, they have that performance against Algeria where they looked completely disjointed but then I actually think that they're going to go out and beat Iceland very comfortably. I, I do. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I, I do. I do know what you mean, though, because everyone was saying, but give no chance before the tournament. Here they are, top of the group. You know, hundred percent record. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Play, playing really badly, but still getting all the results. I mean, that's kind of what really good teams do, isn't it? When they can play badly and still manage to win all their games. Kind of what we've seen with France. Almost painful to watch it at times. Brilliant for ten minutes, awful for the next fifteen, and. Uh, just a bit all over the place. It kind of seemed a little bit all o- disjointed, especially in, in the backcourt. Kenta Mahe is kind of the perfect example of that. Plays absolutely sensational. And then the next minute, and then he's all, a little bit all over, all over the place. And then he gets hooked straight away when Mahe makes a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> GMG is just like, no, no, too much, too much. Come down. When he scored seven goals out of nine shots, then had like two turnovers and didn't play the rest of the game uh, earlier in the tournament. I think there's also... I know we've talked about this, but there's been a lot of cases of players not running back and you just don't see that at this level or giving up on running back. <laughs> it's it's so weird to see it at this level. Um, it doesn't happen. But yeah, it, against Algeria, that you know, the reason why Algeria came back is they were getting fast breaks against a much better team which isn't usually the way these type of games go do you think do you think that comes from the top down a little bit i mean the question of a lack of a strong authority figure as a coach or where do you think that comes from i think we should be careful here or else valentin port is gonna blame the media again for the performances of the french team and will be part of the media in this case (laughs) (laughs) oh god but like Based, based purely on performances and the way they've played, I'd love to see Norway and Portugal th- go through. After the game they played the other day, mm. it, that would be the ideal one for me. And that would probably require Iceland to get a result against France. Could happen. But for some reason, I have a feeling it's going to be France and Norway to go through in the end. I think Portugal have a chance to medal in this competition. I think they're that good. If they go through. <laughs> but uh, I think that that's why they'll... Uh, I think they will beat France. I I don't see France beating Portugal in this competition, especially because France do not do do well against seven on six to such an extent that uh, Nikola Karabatic came out with a petition to stop (laughs) seven on six play (laughs) in handball. What is is this sorcery? disguise your motivations a little bit I mean leave it for a few weeks after the tournament at least like you know uh, directly after a game that they're losing like having a really hard time it wasn't even the Portugal it was Switzerland he may as well have said I, I don't think Andy Schmitz would be playing handball not at, the, not at the major championships it's fine he plays in the Bundesliga but I'm not so sure about letting him into these international competitions <laughs> Uh, Complain about seven versus six when it's basically six uh, six versus one as well. <laughs> so in this in this case then, where it does come down to Portugal France, and it seems like you both believe that will probably happen. 
I mean, yes, Iceland could get a result against France. Switzerland could get a result against Portugal. Will there be a case where France and Portugal just kind of have a gentleman's agreement and say, yeah, okay, Portugal, you can win by two goals and get through to the quarterfinals? No, I don't don't think there'd be a gentleman's agreement. I think France are very bitter about Portugal beating them in the last Euros. I I would imagine that they are. You know, they they won't be... um, coming in as friends into this uh, game. And I actually think it's more likely that Portugal will beat France by six goals or seven goals, sorry, that they need than uh, France beating Portugal. So I have Portugal going through this group, no matter what, but it might be, it just might be at the expense of Norway. It might be. All right, before we go on to group four, which is a group featuring Egypt, we'll bring in our interview with Mohamed Sanad, who is a right wing for the Egyptian national team, playing for Nîmes in France as well. He's had a wonderful championship so far, scoring 23 goals from 26 shots, seven penalties from eight as well. A very entertaining player and uh, part of this Egyptian team, which despite a little setback against Sweden, have taken this tournament by storm and look like real contenders. So let's hear what Mohammed had to say to us. Hello. Hello, Mohammed. You won't see anything because my roommate's still sleeping. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we know how it is at championships. Sleeping is a, is a very important part. Okay, well, uh, thanks a lot for taking the time to chat with us. We know it's a busy time, even on the rest days at uh, these championships. And uh, we'll start with last night and the win against Russia, because um, first of all, it was very impressive, very commanding and a great way to bounce back from the Sweden game. Yes, of course, it's a very great way to bounce back because, uh, as you know, for us, it was a crucial game. Uh, When we lost against Sweden, we lost two points in the main round. It counts like this. So uh, we needed a win against Russia to stay in the race for the quarterfinals. And uh, we studied them very well. We, We knew everything they did. And we just went out and gave it, uh, gave it our best. Something we were talking about on the the last podcast was how impressive Russia looked uh, in their first few games, and it kind of seemed like it was almost a revitalized Russian team. Is that something that you kind of noticed as well when you were preparing for the Russian game? Yes, yes, definitely. Uh, after we saw the first three games of Russia, we were like, Russia is a strong team. They're back. They're getting back to their like, uh, you know, their the old times when Russia was one of the top. So uh, we we knew it wasn't going to be easy. We knew we had to uh, fight hard. We knew we had to study them really well. And uh, the small details were the things that make the difference. And uh, we just tried to stop all their uh, strong points. And then uh, that's, that's what helps, I think. Tell us a little bit about the uh, post-Sweden game. So in the build-up to Russia, I know, as you said, two big points missing and also losing a game like that, which was so close. And I guess it's the mental bounce back is super important. Is there, is there anything you did as a team in particular to work on getting mentally strong again? Yes, definitely. Losing the game against Sweden was like very disappointing for us because uh, we felt like we had the games in our hand. We felt that we controlled the game most of the time. We also feel that we deserved the win. We made some a few mistakes in the second half, and Sweden were, were good to take advantage of these mistakes. 
they took control of the game in the last 10 minutes and uh, they had they had a really good game defensively also in the second half so it was tough for us to lose these two points because we knew we were going to get the main round with three strong teams but uh, in the end it happened and we there's no time you know we, you play every two days and you you can't uh, think about the past so we just have to throw it behind our backs and uh, focus on the next we sat together as a team we said okay Sweden is done. We lost two points. It's no problem. We have three games. We must take each game at a time. So all our focus was on Russia. We didn't even think about Belarus or Slovenia. And uh, the same happened just two minutes after the game against Russia. We we spoke. We said, okay, we won. It's over. We can be happy for now. But from tomorrow, we need to prepare for Belarus and uh, do the same thing. So uh, we're taking it step by step. And... uh, we're going to do our best and uh, hopefully we can uh, qualify for the quarterfinals. I think for everybody watching at home, it's something we've also talked about before. Um, when we see, I mean, I think most handball players now are used to playing in uh, in front of no fans for quite some time now. But before the tournament, there were people saying that maybe there will be some fans and then there weren't some fans. What has it been like for you in the run-up and playing in these, not even an empty arena, but a, a new empty arena? It must be a very kind of bittersweet kind of feeling for, for you personally. What, what, what has it been like? Uh, it, it's not easy. Huh? Uh, even uh, from the day we knew that the World Championship would be in Egypt, everyone was like very excited to, to play at home and uh, to play in front of uh, 30,000, 35,000 people cheering for us. The atmosphere would have been great. But unfortunately, that's not the case now. In the world we live in, there's a pandemic situation. So uh, we can't live, live this, uh, those feelings. Uh, it's very hard for us. We, it wasn't easy to accept. It's like uh, me personally, I think that losing the fans is like having a very important uh, player get injured uh, just before the World Championship. But we need to adapt, find a way to play without uh, without them. We need to find a way to 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 find the motivation and the intensity to uh, to continue all the matches like this. Even though the first game against Chile, I think uh, it was very obvious that this affected us when we just got got into the arena and then it was empty. You lost a little bit of motivation, you know. But then we must adapt. It's the situation we live in right now, and uh, yeah, it's not, it's. It's not as good as we expected, but uh, that's how it is. So I think we're adapting very well. Every game we're improving our intensity we're, uh, and we're getting used to it. I think it's very interesting what you say there about trying to find that motivation and intensity because it feels like the Egyptian team, you you live off that on court. It's one of your strongest aspects is that intensity. Is there anything you've been doing in particular in the warm-ups or uh, off the court to to get yourselves into that mind frame without the fans? There's nothing specific that we do, but I think everyone, everyone individually is like is pushing himself mentally. You know, we know that our families, our friends are right behind us. Uh, they always send us uh, these uh, motivation messages. We feel like in the country, we feel like everyone's supporting us. So, you, so you know, you try to use uh, any positive thing you hear about, any positive thing you see, to use this to 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 motivate yourself and then uh, push yourself further. Despite the lack of fans in the arenas, what has the attention been like for the World Championship inside of Egypt itself? Because I think it's quite hard for us to know on the outside what sort of attention you're getting within Egypt. Could you maybe give us a little bit of insight into that? Actually, I think we, we've got a lot of attention. As you know, in Egypt, handball is the second uh, biggest sport after football. So normally, uh, handball is a big sport here. 
And we actually feel like everyone is following the tournament and not even just our games, but people are speaking about other games, all the other group people are speaking about how the organization is going well. Uh, yeah, of course, there were some mistakes in the beginning. It's a new system. It's a new way to, to, to organize a world championship with 32 teams during the Corona crisis time and everything. So I think there's a learning curve in it. I personally feel like uh, everyone in Egypt is, is really following us, especially after we showed that uh, we have a good team and uh, we have a team that can go far. So now people like have uh, have high hopes in us and uh, they're trying to push us. Everyone wants to, to be there for, for us. So I think uh, around Egypt, people are really following the tournament and um, I think it's a good thing for the country. That's nice that you can you can feel that even without the crowds in the arena itself. And I mean, for you personally, it seems like the, the championship is going very well. You've got some great stats already, uh, firing in goals like nobody's business. And I, I want to ask you in particular about your penalty taking, because I think that is one area of the game that really fascinates me, the, the kind of mental battle. And uh, you're so cool and calm in those situations. I think you've scored seven out of eight penalties so far. Some of them have been brilliant. And tell me about your approach to taking these penalties do you make your mind up beforehand or do you take the goalkeepers into consideration because i think every penalty taker is very different i don't actually make my mind up before doing it i try i try to see who the goalkeepers i try to study him a bit even uh, for the penalties and for the wings and everything to know what their style is how they uh, they save i think that's a good thing that i'm uh, like uh, calm and cold you know when taking these shots during the past uh, couple of years, I improved my game in, in uh, the seven meters. Uh, I started taking more risks. And when I do that, I started to improve uh, many shots. Uh, I always try to, to try new shots, to try to uh, improve some shots, you know, because uh, I think now penalties are even more harder than before to take. Goalkeepers are becoming much, much stronger. So you need to have a variety of shots. You need to change, to always change how you shoot because always go also goalkeepers they study and they watch videos and everything so you need to try to to be different as much as possible and uh, be calm take risks uh, with no risks uh, you will not go far you know and uh, also when you have the confidence of the coach and confidence of the team even if you miss uh, they still have confidence in you and this uh, this really helps uh, motivate you you know you feel confident and you you go do the same you take a decision and if you miss it, it's no problem. I, uh, me personally, if I miss one shot, I can go the second and shoot again. I, I, I'm not a player like who's like afraid to go and shoot again. Oh, this goalkeeper safe for me. No, I would go shoot and maybe I would shoot the same shot again. You know, it, uh, you never know. <laughs> but uh, I like uh, for me, it's uh, like a challenging situation between me and the goalkeeper. So I like uh, the situation. I, I was like that. I think I'd be. I miss a sh- miss a penalty. Take me off. Put me on the bench. Send me home. That was never. <laughs> but uh, inter- interesting what you're saying there about the penalty take. And I just want to ask you quickly about that. You almost describe it like you have to be almost, you said you have to come up with something new. You have to be up to date with almost what's going on. Are there any penalty penalty takers you look at and you kind of study when you're not playing? Definitely. I look at all the penalty takers, uh, uh, even in the league, in the world championships and other leagues. If I see someone take a penalty through even on handball videos on YouTube, you know, I try to learn uh, some tricks. I try to learn uh, new shoots. I think it's very important to do that, you know, not just be yourself, but try to learn from others. This is what helps a lot. I want to ask you about the 
the group now because as you said with that loss to Sweden left you with a bit of work to do but all of a sudden the group is very open now and you've got the situation back into your own hands does that give you a bit more freedom now knowing that you no matter what happens if you win your games you're through and on top of that is it difficult to not look too far ahead and maybe start doing the maths in your own head Definitely, us as players, we always like do the maths and we're like, what if this happens and this team wins, this team loses in the end? It always ends up being okay, guys. We just need to win. So we, so we just if we if we win, we will not get into the hassle of like uh, all the calculations and who wins, who loses, what goes, how many goes, all this. So like I told you, really, we're like taking it a step at a time, literally. So our next game is Belarus. We're going to study them hard. We're going to go in there to give 150% to win the game. Hopefully we will win. And then we will study Slovenia and check how it goes. You know, for us, it's like win every game at a time. And in the end, if, if this doesn't happen, we need to know that uh, we, we put our best. And uh, that's how it is, you know. But we just need to put 100% and uh, fight every single game. Yeah, it's, a, it's a bit of a cliche, but it's very true at the end of the day. It's exactly, exactly. Yeah. It's a cliche, but to be honest, it's very true also here. What kind of different puzzles do Belarus and Slovenia offer? Because I think they're quite two different teams. What, what do you think from your perspective? I think they're really good teams. Not easy to beat at all. Uh, both teams are, have their strong points. Uh, Slovenia, they're a very, very fast team. Belarus, they have a really strong team with really good shooters and a really good uh, line player. So in terms of uh, styles of teams, I think they are different. In the end, also, us as Egypt, we have our strong points, you know. We need to be confident and have faith in ourselves, you know. Yes, they are strong teams, but for sure, they're also saying that Egypt is a strong team. So we must uh, think like that and uh, try to uh, have faith that, yes, we can win and... uh, we go there, we fight, we fight for the win, and uh, the best team in the end wins. It's the small details in the game that uh, make the difference. Mohamed Sanad, thank you so much for taking the time, and rest up before tomorrow, yeah? Thank you. Thank you, guys. Thank you to Mohamed Sanad for that insight. Also, thank you to his roommate, who uh, hopefully we didn't disturb from <laughs> his sleep too much. Uh, so if we look at that group, I think I held back a little bit on Egypt and I like to hold back on teams until I'm 100% sure my reputation isn't going to be damaged and now I can safely say that Egypt are a solid team (laughs) that could make it to the semi-final and I think the the game against Russia was one which they kind of tactically kind of just outmaneuvered Russia and just looked far superior and, and really controlled the game uh, from a, from quite an early stage as well. I think they really never looked in trouble and qu- really entertaining to watch also. I think their backcourt is so dynamic. It's, it's a very nice handball also to watch, but they have a really difficult task coming up against Belarus and Slovenia. And as, a, as I touched on and as uh, Mohammed also said in the interview, two very, very different challenges also. And the Belarus side have so much youth and talent that it's and great backcourt shooters. It's it's going to be a dangerous prospect. And then you have Slovenia, the team of a thousand playmakers. <laughs> I do think they'll beat both of them, though, but I think they're going to be very, very close games. Yeah, well, just to, to give you an overview here of the group, as, as it stands at the moment, Sweden are top of it with five points. Uh, Egypt now in second place, joint second place with Slovenia on four points. Then Russia uh, on three, Belarus on two, North Macedonia out of the running on zero. And I mean, that Belarus-Sweden game was a wild one. 
as well happening at the same time as Portugal Norway ended up being a draw after Sweden came back from the depths of hell then basically threw it away with some terrible time management in the last minute beautiful goal by Jernok uh the last second equalizer with a lovely spin shot from the wing but why have Sweden been good in this competition? Can someone tell me that? Well, look at them at the top of the group. But like, how? <laughs> I was something I, I, I've been kicking myself now for the last for the last like week or so, or so when I've been because I, I really wanted to bring up how nobody before the tournament was talking about Sweden, and it's like, no, don't bring it up now. You're going to look like a fool in a few weeks when Sweden get knocked out in the group phase. <laughs> and here I am now, do you know. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, uh, to be fair, nobody nobody really did uh, expect anything from Sweden. We we spoke about them for about five seconds in our preview pod, Alex. Uh, we said they're missing 10 players, 11 players. And well, what I did say, though, to be fair, was that they produce a hell of a lot of handball players in Sweden. And if you look at the squad, the majority of them playing in the Bundesliga. And yeah, they just play with, I guess, a, a bit of freedom maybe a bit Croatia women-like. Uh, they are like the B team and coming into this with very little expectation. Uh, brand new coach as well in Glenn Solberg. And I really like the way they play. I mean, they have Jim Gottfriedsen, who to be fair, had a horrendous game. But before that has been leading the team very well. We saw it in the game against Egypt. He ran the show brilliantly. Didn't really try to make force things. He played the ball into the line well, set things up for for players the the backcourt is is full of quality shooters you know guys who have either been on the fringe or just like not really considered for the national team over the last few years because i guess the way you stick with the the players that have been in the last tournament which some national teams tend to do this is kind of a flush out of the old an accidental flush out of the old bringing in new players and they're playing really well and i don't think they even expected it and their defense has been incredible as well, led by Max Darsh, who is one mm. of the old heads. But um, they have those two points of stability in attack and defense where Jim Gottfriedson is, runs the show and knows how the team should be playing of continuity. And he's surrounded by this young talent. And in defense, they have Darsh to run that defense, which I think has helped them transition very well into this new age that uh, no one is expecting but they still have a pretty tough road uh, to get into the quarterfinals with it's just i think it's the most open group where mm. you know sweden have to play slovenia in the next game which is a huge huge game um and i think that will be almost an elimination game between the two of them and well sweden then play russia um who russian handball federation they play the russian handball federation who can put in a performance and they're a young team so that's why they're inconsistent but they can get a win against anyone in this group do you see sweden going through i have been somewhat disappointed by slovenia so far at this championship i expected a lot more from them it is uh, Lubomir Vanez, a Swede, who is coaching Slovenia against Sweden, so that adds a bit of spice to it. I think Sweden should win, and if they beat Slovenia, then they will go through. At the moment, for me, it looks like Sweden and Egypt to go through, um, although it's going to go down to the wire, because even if Slovenia lose against Sweden, they have 
another chance against Egypt because that will be another knockout game then. Um, so really, this yeah, this group is so open. Interesting games all the way through. I'll say Sweden and Egypt. So basically, if Belarus beat Egypt, it's going to mess the whole thing up. Oh yeah, Belarus will still have a chance then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, and you wouldn't put it past them based on how they played against Sweden. Yeah. I I also have Egypt going through, and primarily because I was very impressed with how they adjusted after the Sweden game. Because they didn't really look that great against Sweden. Um, again, they were still very good defensively. They're a very big team that, that was consistent. But their attack was, um, as I think Rasmus Boysen said, is looks like uh, PSG's attack where they are just very static and um, trying to do go one-on-one all the time. And the thing is, they changed that in the game against Russia. And... They basically changed the amount of time they spend in contact against Sweden. And Omar Yahia was big reason why that kept happening, even though he had a very good game. But he loves going into contact and getting a shot around and trying to break through. Against Russia, he was taking shots from nine meters. Ahmed Al-Akmar was taking shots from nine meters. He went five from six. They basically made a very small change of shooting a step before they did against Sweden and it made all the difference. If they can continue that and continue to evolve as a team, you know, again, I've been high on Egypt and I'll continue to be high. And then I have Slovenia going through and beating Sweden. What do you reckon, Brian? Uh, Yeah, I think Egypt are going to win both of their next games. And then after that, it's tricky to say. I think Sweden will do a job over Slovenia. Yeah, I think I'll say say it's it's actually going to stay as it is now, Sweden and Egypt. You know, Alex, even if... Slovenia do beat Sweden if Egypt then beat Slovenia and Sweden beat the Russian Handball Federation it's Egypt and Sweden so you're basically saying that Slovenia are going to get a result against both Sweden and Egypt ah yeah because Slovenia will get six points then Sweden still have an opportunity to get seven points so I I think Slovenia will beat Sweden but um potentially Sweden might get through <laughs> okay you got me on that one, you got me on that one. <laughs> before we go a quick look at the President's Cup and everyone's favourite handball player Gauthier Mvumbi Congo DR Congo got themselves their first win of the World Championship beating everyone's former favourite African team Angola <laughs> could have been the game of the tournament right <laughs> I mean well I only noticed it with 10 minutes to go but thank goodness I did because because <laughs> we got some very nice viral videos out of it that's for sure and I think that's the funny um, thing it's like nobody else was paying attention to the game at the time so <laughs> so we got out there pretty quickly I think there were only like 2,000 people watching or something at the time but uh I know. Look, it, it's 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 great to see, and I tweeted it out earlier that we we can come down very hard on the Presidents' Cup every time the President Cup starts. Or I was like, oh, what's this? this is an absolute joke. But I, I really do think for teams of that level, and you, you've never won a game at a World Championship before, and then you see scenes like that, I think it then it is worth it because I mean, the World Championship. That's why we love it. It's that gap between the really top European teams and then everyone else, and we do see it now around every two years, and. Uh, uh, but like scenes like that after after the game there that's just absolute gold and that goal by Stephen <laughs> what a perfect name Stephen with two E's at the start as he sc- makes probably the fastest sprint 
in world championship history. He made it from his own nine meter line to Angola's nine meter line in under three seconds while bouncing the ball and being ushered by the Angolan defender to clinch them their first victory in a world championship. An amazing story. Stephen Corneal Olivier. That's his full name. Perfect. That's, you could probably say that in just under three seconds. <laughs> Beautiful. And uh, Rodrigo Salinas, who was the king of the President's Cup after scoring 12 goals in the opening game, almost getting to his record of 18 goals, which he did against Iran in 2015. So there's definitely going to be some fun performances coming through the President's Cup as well. We'll be back with a quarterfinal preview on Tuesday. Lots of big games coming up over the next couple of days. We're all excited. I hope you are too. From all of us here at the Handball Hour, speak to you very soon. (laughs) 